Please keep in mind that this podcast deals with advocacy issues, and due to the nature of shifting legislation, this content may be outdated. The AMA is a leading voice that informs, guides, and generates support for policies that advance meaningful initiatives relevant to all patients and physicians. When the proposed rules came out last July, our AMA worked closely with specialty and state physician groups to address the widespread concerns with the proposed AME coding changes and to develop a uniform voice around recommendations that have broad support across the profession. That's Dr. Willie Underwood, Chair of the Council on Legislation. On this episode of Moving Medicine, a podcast from the American Medical Association, Dr. Underwood discusses how the AMA's advocacy efforts have helped to shape healthcare policy. He's joined by Dr. David Taylor, Dr. Marilyn J. Heine, and Dr. Mary S. Carpenter, who also addressed the Council on Legislation Forum about the AMA's work on issues such as health system reform, the opioid epidemic, and immigration. I'm your host, Todd Unger, Chief Experience Officer at the American Medical Association. This episode of Moving Medicine is one of two parts on the AMA's advocacy and policy work in 2018 and our look ahead to 2019. This speech was presented at the 2018 AMA interim meeting. Here's Dr. Underwood. There's a lot going on in healthcare today and there's no shortage of issues important to our patients, the practice of medicine, being discussed at this meeting, everything from physician payment to immigration. It is our custom in this forum to give you the opportunity to share with us and others in the room your thoughts on emerging legislative and other issues impacting patients and the practice of medicine. As we have heard this meeting less than two weeks ago, CMS finalized rules for the 2019 physician fee schedule, which also includes modification for the quality payment program QPP. Our staff is continuing to analyze this rule, but from the initial review, we see a number of policies in the final rules that reflects AMA advocacy positions. Primarily, CMS postponed its original proposal to, ex to condense the AMA office visit rates. CMS finalized the changes our AMA and other members of the Federation supported. This slide lists some of the positive results for our AMA physicians in the final rule. One, you won't be required to redocument the history of present illness. Two, you will no longer need to document the medical necessity of home visits. Three, for established patients, you'll be allowed to add the met to the medical record only things that have changed. The CMS also said it would not implement a proposal to reduce payment for office visits that was performed the same day of other services. This is not just an imp impressive results, but is also how the House of Medicine came together. When the proposed rules came out last July, our AMA worked closely with specialty and state physician groups to address the widespread concerns with the proposed AME coding changes and to develop a uniform voice around recommendations that have broad support across the profession. Our AMA also formed a joint working group of CPT and RUC experts to develop 
recommendations for adjusting AMA coding policies and came up with an alternative. Our AMA also led to the development of a joint common letter from not five, not 10, not 20, not even 50, but 170 physician and other healthcare professional organizations urging CMS to proceed next year with easing some of the documentation burdens, but they needed to wait for the results of the CPT RUC work group before going forward with the AME coding and payment changes. In other words, we convinced CMS that coding and valuation issues are very complex and they need more time to work out the input, work this out with the input from the House of Medicine. This is a great example of how our AMA and the ability and ability to identify a problem, collaborate, develop a uniform voice across medicine, form a body of experts, develop other credible solutions, and most of all, deliver positive results. QPP section of the final rule also includes some of the things we like. For example, the rule adds a third criterion for physicians to qualify for low volume thresholds. There is a new policy that allows physicians to opt in to participate in MIPS and or create virtual groups. Part B drugs are removed from the low volume threshold, determination and the physician payment adjustment. Our AMA has some great QPP resources at our website, which will allow you to up, which will be updated for the 2019 resources and staff further analysis of this final rule. Here's the link, or we can just Google the name. The AMA also has scored some major legislative and regulatory victories in digital medicine. We played a central role in advancing telehealth and remote patient monitoring coverage and access to, for Medicare and VA patients going into 2019. Three new federal laws include telehealth provisions that our AMA helped craft and the number of state bills as well. Alone, each federal bill would have represented a major expansion of coverage. Together, these three new laws are a pivotal turning point. We did this while protecting patients' interests by preserving the important role of state licensure and other medical practice laws. Here's a story that we believe you should know. Five years ago, IMA had almost no policy on telehealth and was fighting back the effort of industry association and companies like the American Telemedicine Association, Verizon, and EvaMed, to name a few. They were pushing hard for federal legislation that would have nationalized licensure for telehealth services. Our AMA and physicians, leaders, like our current chair, Jack Resnick, held back the ocean of federal and state bills that would have advanced bad telehealth policy. This new policy helped our AMA forge new coalitions and work strategically to knock down limitations to health telehealth coverage so you could offer telehealth and other virtual services to your and our patients. Dr. Kavadar, considered a leading voice of telehealth, offered this observation. The 2008 policy changes are nothing short of historic. So what does this mean? It means for the first time, yes, the first time, Medicare will pay for remote patient monitoring of physiologic readings 
for your patients suffering from difficult to manage chronic diseases like diabetes. It means that ambulance can be equipped with telehealth capacities so that individuals suspected of having acute stroke can be triaged and sent to the correct facility. It means that those suffering from opioid addiction can access telehealth services from home or anywhere they are located. A former board member of the Telemedicine Association was noted noted that our AMA contributions to the efforts have been transformational and unparalleled. Before I move on to a more somber thing, now I just laid out a lot of cool stuff that we've done. So turning to gun violence, in 2018, we saw a series of mass shootings with the massacre at Parkland High School at the Pittsburgh Trio White Synagogue and just sadly a few days ago at Thousand Oaks, California. These are only three of 294 mass shootings this year, and that's 294 too many. RAMA adopted several policies on gun violence at our 2008 annual meeting that is keeping us busy at the federal and state levels. RAMA has renewed the call for the CDC to investigate the root causes of gun violence. Our AMA urges Congress to earmark appropriations specifically for gun violence research. Unfortunately, Congress failed to appropriate specific funding for fiscal year 2019. As the push for federal funding continues, our AMA recently partnered with the AMA Foundation for Firearm Injury Reduction in Medicine, a firm a physician-led nonprofit organization that aims to counter the lack of federal funding for gun violence research with privately raised funds. Our AMA also commented on the proposal regulations issued by the Department of Justice on the so-called bump stocks and supported bipartisan legislation to expand the existing national background checks system to cover all commercial firearm sales and to incentivize states to improve reporting of the background check system. That was a lot of activity in 2018. For example, we saw nine states enact laws restricting access to firearms for individuals convicted of domestic violence or subject of restraining orders due to domestic violence. Eight states passed laws establishing gun violence restraining orders. Nine states banned bump stocks. Finally, we saw six states strengthen the background check requirements. We will continue to see opportunities at the federal and state level and advance our new and existing AMA policy on these topics. As my mother would say, when it comes to gun violence, enough is enough and too much stinks. Now, though I'm having fun up here, I'll stop and I'll turn it over to David. Thank you, Willie. The first issue I'll highlight is health system reform, and I'll just mention seven areas where the AMA has uh, recommended that we place our emphasis and our staff and physician leadership have certainly placed our emphasis. We must preserve our safety net programs like Medicaid and CHIP. We have health care reform objectives, and our policy must be inserted into federal legislation. We must come up with a bipartisan approach 
to move forward with whatever is going to follow the Affordable Care Act. And at the federal level, we're urging Congress to pursue policies that expand eligibility for tax credits inversely related to income and increase tax credit amounts that would improve affordability of insurance and consumer choice, because as you know, the, the administration has taken away the uh, subsidies that were present in the original ACA. We must stabilize and strengthen the individual market and limit actions that lead to uncertainty in the ACA marketplaces. And then there are a number of states, mine as an example, that have not expanded Medicaid, so low-income adults uh, will not have access without Medicaid expansion. We face some other challenges and this year the administration took a series of actions through executive orders and rulemaking promoting the administration in Washington association health plans and short-term limited duration insurance plans which really don't have to comply with the Affordable Care Act regulations about benefit packages for for the major example and our AMA has commented on both the rules when they were proposed raising concerns about the impact on key patient protections called for in our policy, such as ensuring meaningful coverage, assisting individuals with low incomes or high medical costs to obtain health insurance coverage, and meeting cost-sharing obligations. With the short-term plans, our concern is that they will directly compete with the ACA compliant plans, and patients will not understand that even though they're getting a bargain, they're not getting much of a policy. The fact that the individual mandate for insurance is gone uh, means that the insurance companies are just cherry-picking the healthy people into their programs, and we don't have anything there which can be funded by the broad participation we had with the individual mandate. There are three key legal actions we're paying close attention to, uh, the issue of the Texas case whether the ACA remains constitutionally valid in light of the repeal of the ACA's individual mandate. And we have, the AMA has filed an amicus brief arguing in favor of continued viability of the ACA. The second case is whether regulations of the federal government that expand the availability of short-term limited duration insurance policies are actually valid under the ACA. And the AMA, the District of Columbia, and several specialties have filed an amicus brief to support the motion for preliminary injunction to protect access to affordable quality coverage and avoid disruption to the individual insurance market. The third case, being brought by 11 states in the District of Columbia, challenges the administration's rule on expanding association health plans that do not have to comply with many of the ACA reforms. So you can see that our AMA is there trying to get what is right done for our patients and our physicians. We encourage you to get in touch with our AMA staff and our Advocacy Resource Center if your medical society is looking to advocate for state legislation or regulatory action to preserve current patient protections. Our AMA was instrumental in last year's efforts to block the Anthem, Cigna, and Aetna Humana mergers, saving physicians over $500 million in payments 
This, this wouldn't have happened without our AMA physician leadership and our marvelous AMA staff. In 2018, after an intense evaluation, our AMA chose to come out in opposition to the CVS-Aetna merger, which looked to be a vertical merger of an insurance company with a pharmacy. But actually, because of the way Part D Medicare drug programs work, it actually was also a horizontal merger. And there was really nobody else there to say that this was, this was wrong. And so our staff and physician leaders did an incredible job, along with a coalition of medical associations, state medical associations. We had economists, antitrust scholars, the American Antitrust Institute, and we influenced the Department of Justice and state attorneys general and insurance commissioners to, to realize that maybe the vertical part was okay because there's no history of stopping vertical mergers, but the horizontal was, was wrong. And as you know, when the final decision was made, Part D drug programs were removed from the Aetna CBS merger, which was a real victory, I think, for our AMA. There's been a great deal of activity with our AMA's private payer campaign to hold insurers accountable. Network adequacy legislation continues to be an important issue in this world of narrow networks. Here are some of the problems we're seeing. More out-of-network care, low allowables to pay for out-of-network care, increasing out-of-pocket costs, and less federal enforcement of network adequacy for ACA plans. We're seeing patients increasingly feeling the impact of narrower networks and increased cost sharing in the form of surprise billing when the hospital is in network and the physicians providing the care are not in, uh, in the network. There continues to be strong interest from policymakers, state and federal, to address the issue of balance or surprise billing. Our AMA and the hospital-based specialties have been heavily focused on patient-centered solutions that incorporate fair payment standards and incentives to enter into fair contracts. Over 25 states at this time have considered at least one balance billing bill this year, and three were enacted. We'll continue to work with state associations to provide resources to help them reach a fair solution. We have model state legislation, we have issue briefs, and we have talking points for any of you who are working at this, working on this at the state level. Meanwhile, there's also been a federal activity on balance billing as a bipartisan group of senators, including Dr. Bill Cassidy of Louisiana, are drafting legislation to create a national solution to protect patients from unanticipated balance bills. Our AMA and several specialty societies are engaged with the sponsors in emphasizing the importance of patient protections, network adequacy, and maintaining market incentives to get insurers to the table and offer fair contracts to physicians. And now I'll turn it over to Marilyn. Thank you, Dave. So ending the opioid epidemic continues to be a top AMA priority since it continues to have a devastating effect on our nation. However, there are some signs of progress in physicians' actions to help end this public health crisis. The AMA Opioid Task Force issued a report in June of 2018 that highlights some of this progress. Uh, while new data shows a tailing off of the opioid-related mortality, 
Deaths from illicit fentanyl have not subsided, heroin-related mortality remains high, and deaths related to prescription opioids also remain unacceptably high, meaning we still have a long way to go. In 2018, our AMA actively provided input to help federal and state policymakers develop legislative and regulatory solutions to address the epidemic. At the federal level, just a few weeks ago, President Trump signed into law the Support for Patients and Communities Act. The law is a compilation of dozens of mostly bipartisan proposals that were passed by the House and Senate over the preceding several months. The new law provides billions of dollars worth of grants for treatment, training, and other activities. We still will need to advocate for future appropriations. Our AMA continues to emphasize the need for significant new investments to ensure treatment and to build the treatment workforce. These three agreements in New York, Maryland, and Pennsylvania are notable because they are largely the most comprehensive that have taken place over the past three years. AMA supported MedCHI in the 2017 effort and worked closely with the Pennsylvania Medical Society to help achieve this result. Other states also have enacted some MAT-related prior authorization reforms, but those reforms while steps in the right direction are typically time-limited, for example, uh, to address the first seven to 10 days of treatment for a certain amount of inpatient care or for as much as six months of treatment. So if your state has not provided any efforts successfully yet to prohibit prior auth for MAT, the AMA model state legislation can actually help you address these and other related issues. In 2018, our AMA offered background, analysis, and technical support to at least 25 states as they address the opioid epidemic. And this includes support for bills aligned with AMA policy and efforts to amend or defeat bills with negative provisions. Our AMA continues to maintain and update a great opioid microsite with more than 400 educational and training resources that will help with specific state and specialty requirements. Our AMA continues to vigorously advocate for policies to address high drug prices and lack of access. We supported policies that increase transparency along the pharmaceutical supply chain and measures to increase competition and access. Congress and the Trump administration have advanced several initiatives consistent with AMA advocacy. The Bipartisan Budget Act, enacted earlier this year, includes Medicare Part D reforms that lower out-of-pocket costs for Medicare beneficiaries under Part D, known as the Donut Hole reforms. Last month, two bills were signed into law that would advance transparency and stop anti-competitive practices. One, that prohibits Medicare and Medicare Advantage drug plans from restricting or penalizing the disclosure of drug pricing information to Medicare beneficiaries. And another, that prohibits health insurers and PBMs from using gag clauses. Our AMA also supported proposals in the President's blueprint to address the drug price problem, focusing on transparency, increased competition, and accurate point-of-care coverage, as well as patient cost sharing. 
while we raise concerns about proposals that would have increased patient costs, impede access, or penalize physicians for prescribing high-cost medications. The AMA updated its Truth and Rx website and continues to have a social media presence through our Patient Action Network and Physicians Grassroots Network. We encourage state medical associations to advance AMA model state legislation that would increase transparency requirements on payers, PBMs, and drug manufacturers. We encourage you and your patients to visit the Truth in Rx website to share your stories about the impact of drug pricing. And in June, our House of Delegates adopted new policy on healthcare augmented intelligence. This policy has already strengthened the impact of our advocacy on issues related to AI. It has guided our participation in a congressional briefing and National Academies events where we could promote our policy. And in discussions with FDA and National Science Foundation, we were able to seek appropriate regulatory oversight for healthcare AI. I will now turn it over to Mary. Thanks, Marilyn. Our AMA continues to be engaged in a number of immigration issues, including family separation and family detention, public charge issues, J-1 and H-1B visas, and DACA. These have become very important issues to our members and to the nation. Central to our policy discussion on immigration is access to good health and appropriate care for these migrating families and support for our international medical graduate physicians. I will touch on our more recent advocacy in these areas. Regarding the separation of migrating children from their parent or caregivers, our AMA has responded to DOJ's zero tolerance policy with a letter in June urging the federal government to withdraw its zero tolerance policy and urge the administration to give priority to supporting families and protecting the health and well-being of the children within those families. And then in July, we joined with several national health care organizations in a letter to Congress asking for oversight hearings on the care given to families in Department of Homeland Security run detention facilities. And just last week, in accord with our policy, our AMA submitted comments to DHS and HHS opposing their proposed rule that would expand family immigration detention. Inadmissibility on public charge grounds means an individual who is likely to be reliant on public benefits for subsistence will not be admitted to the U.S. and ineligible to become a legal permanent resident. So, on the issue of public charge, our HOD adopted policy in June to oppose changes to the public charge that penalize non-citizens for accessing health care. As soon as the Department of Homeland Security released the proposed rule, the AMA issued a press statement opposing the proposal, and staff is now drafting our comment letter. This slide shows the three main features of how public charge works today and how all three would change under the proposed rule. The bottom line is that these changes would mean denied medical care and other services that impact the health of non-citizens seeking permanent resident status. As a result of new AMA policy adopted at our annual meeting this year, our AMA sent a letter in August to the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, imploring them to clear the backlog for conversion from H-1B visas so that foreign trained physicians already practicing in the U.S. can obtain permanent resident status. The Department of Homeland Security is expected to release proposed rules related to H-1B visas and H-4 visas before the end of the year, on which our AMA will comment. 
In the last 15 years, the Conrad 30 program has brought more than 15,000 physicians to, the un to underserved areas, but the program needs to be reauthorized. In 2017, the AMA sent letters to Congress in support of a Conrad 30 reauthorization bill for an additional three years, as it does not make sense to send qualified physicians home when they can begin or continue practicing in an underserved area immediately. If enacted, there are provisions in the bill that would make improvements to the program by requiring more transparency in employment contract terms, creating additional waivers per states, and protecting spouses and children of physicians that are in the program. The AMA has extensive policy in support of current U.S. healthcare professionals, including those currently training as medical students or residents and fellows who are DACA recipients. The AMA has actively supported DREAMers, including advocating for passage of the DREAM Act of 2017. On November 2nd, the Department of Justice requested that the U.S. Supreme Court review all three lawsuits in California, New York, and Washington, D.C. that seek to block the administration from winding down the DACA program, as DHS outlined in a September rescission memo. I'd also like to make sure that you're aware of some additional activities at the state level. For those of you who may not be aware, our AMA's Advocacy Resource Center not only tracks state legislation and regulation trends across the country, they develop powerful advocacy resources and tools to help state and specialty societies advance their state-level agendas. The ARC team works closely with our AMA DC-based attorneys and lobbyists to assist all state and national medical specialty societies. They help the council develop model legislation and work to influence national policy-making organizations like the National Governors Association and the National Association of Insurance Commissioners. This year alone, we have tallied over 100 collaborative victories on these and other issues. We've already touched on some. Here are just a few others. Prior authorization continues to delay patient care and waste physician practice resources. Our AMA is working closely with state and specialty medical societies to address prior authorization. And as you can see, there was a great deal of activity on this issue this year. 25 states saw prior authorization legislation, many of which include provisions reflected in our AMA's model state bill. Since 2007, the Scope of Practice Partnership has awarded $1.65 million in grants these grants help defeat inappropriate scope of practice legislation and create some of the AMA's most widely and used advocacy resources, like the GeoMaps. Our AMA's Truth in Advertising Model State Bill helps inform the public about who is a physician. So far, 19 states have adopted Truth in Advertising legislation. Another neat advocacy tool you need to check out is the AMA Health Workforce Mapper an online interactive tool that illustrates the distribution of physicians and non-physician clinicians by specialty, state, county, or metropolitan area. The mapper provides a useful visual tool to demonstrate to policymakers the geographic distribution of the healthcare workforce in a given state or nationally to assist them in making appropriate evidence-based decisions. The last advocacy resource I'll talk about is AMA's Economic Impact Study. The third edition of this important resource was released at the beginning of the year. It includes state-specific data demonstrating the huge impact physicians have on the national and state economies through the creation of jobs, purchase of goods and services, and support for state and local tax revenue. Thank you, Drs. Underwood, Taylor, Heine, and Carpenter. 
Be sure to tune in to the other episode in this two-part series about the AMA's advocacy and policy work. To get exclusive AMA advocacy news and information impacting physicians, patients, and the healthcare environment, subscribe to AMA's Advocacy Update newsletter at ama-assn.org slash advocacy-update. You can also subscribe to Moving Medicine and other great AMA podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify, or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts.